morning. Happy Lord's Day. Uh, for those who, of you who don't know me, I actually work as an engineer. So from uh, Monday to Friday, I'm an engineer who loves to eat. And uh, back in my uh, office, we have this place, um, my, one of my favorite restaurants, because it's just what, around uh, less than 300 meters away from my office. The name of the restaurant is Eat Fresh. I know sometimes you hear me talk about restaurants. No? It, it knows, you know that I love to eat, right? So there is a restaurant there called Eat Fresh. We always eat there because my, one of my favorite um, meal there was a, um, are you familiar with a hot pot or a meal? Uh, it's like a pot with rice in it and you put some delicious either chicken or pork. I know later on we love salo-salo, so I'm just trying to whet your appetite. So I, one of my favorite is chicken and mushroom. So we, I always eat there. And then uh, with my office mates, of course, and I drink um, this um, uh, sagugulaman na malaki. It's like a milky size large that I always uh, eat and drink there. And then just recently, I just learned from uh, one of the posts from the owners of the Eat Fresh Restaurant franchise that that restaurant that I've been eating into is a fake restaurant. Yes, I just learned that Eat Fresh has several franchises and San Juan was not one of the place. So um, then when I, when I learned that, syempre, sabi ng mga office mate ko, why should we eat there? It's fake. Yeah, but it's one of our favorites. So there is a, I think that was just this week. Uh, sige, sabi na, all right, let's eat there na rin. Uh, some, at least we can at least go back and see if it's really fake or not. So <laughs> we went back and uh, that was lunch Monday or Tuesday, I think. And then we went back. And I suddenly realized that the restaurant is no longer serving the same kind of meal that we are eating. Although it's, it looks like the name is the same, the pot is actually smaller, eh, actually. Tapos the rice is there, the chicken is there, the mushroom is there, there's a gogolam, and there's even laksa. I'm not sure if you eat in laksa. It's one of the spiciest uh, uh, noodles that you'll ever taste in Singapore or Kuala Lumpur. And um, I began to notice that the, uh, the hot pot rice doesn't taste that much well anymore. And I also realized that the laksa is not as spicy as anymore. And I realized also that the, the, the sagogulaman it's not anymore served with the same portion. So I was curious. I was asking, ah, who is the, ano ba? Who, was the, who is the, kasi if it's a, uh, it's a Chinese restaurant, it's usually like an aquarium where the, the, the cook is always there, right? And then I finally realized that while everything looks the same, although of course with the sizes and all, no? the cook is no longer there. The one who serves us the meal is no longer there. Probably the original cook is not there anymore because he went to the original Eat Fresh. And then I realized also that as the one who eats in the restaurant, you can only taste the difference if you are really keen 
on eating, <laughs> hindi naman eating, you're really keen on being served the meal the way it should be served. And I realized then in the, and sabi namin, but if this is fake, how come a lot of people are still coming in? A lot of people are eating as well. Because then I realized, probably because they do not see any difference. That even if the cook is no longer there, everything looks the same. People are still eating because they don't know the difference. I think the dynamics between the cook and the, the one who eats speaks a lot about how we worship God and how we respond to Him in our worship. I think it's essential for us to, as Christians, to understand that while everything may look the same, the texts of the scriptures are the same, probably the songs that we are, that's being sung are the same, but if the cook is not there anymore, then it's no longer what you are actually expecting. That the meal that you were actually trying to respond to or trying to eat or trying to enjoy is no longer served by the one who is supposed to be serving that meal. And I think that's important. And it's important because our response to everything that we receive in worship will always be dictated by the one who serves it, not the one who eats it. And in a worship setting, we are being served. We are being served by the word and we should know the difference. That's why we need to understand how to properly respond when it comes to receiving the benefits of the means of grace. And this is what we are going to try to learn this sermon series that we'll be having. So we'll be having a new sermon series. It's the book of Psalms, and I believe most of you are very familiar with it because it's smacked right at the middle of the book, of the Bible. It's 150 chapters. It's one of the longest. And in Hebrew, it's called the book of praise. And sadly, the relationship between the psalm and the praise has been diminished since the time that uh, we've been focusing more and more on a lot of things in worship itself. But I think it's, it's important for God's people to understand, regardless of which generation they belong to, that this book, the book of Psalm, is the hymn of God's people. That it is always used by God's people as a congregation when worshiping God publicly every Lord's Day. That it is by this book we respond to God in all our singing and in all our praying using God's word found in the Psalms. Now, so this Lord's Day morning we'll be hearing um, it will be a book this, the endorsement, no? So this will be by Dr. Godfrey, one of his books, Learning to Love the Psalms. In chapter 5, we'll be using it intensively. And just so that we know what we'll be discussing uh, for almost on this uh, entire preaching, Godfrey there explains that Jesus himself referenced the entire book of Psalms as part of the Old Testament scripture pointing 
to his death and resurrection. And he also demonstrated how this new test how the New Testament book in Hebrews uses Psalms to establish that Jesus himself is divine and human at the same time. That he is greater than all of the angels, than King David himself, and all other Old Testament figures. So from this, we will learn that the book of Psalm, and this is the title of the first point, is Christ's Psalm. And we will understand why it is Christ's Psalm. And we will learn from the book of uh, Psalm, but at the same time from other books in Scripture, so we will look at it theologically, but at the same time later, we'll understand from the perspective also of it being used in history. So we will examine uh, church history. So again, theology and history. And we will understand that, and this is, I think, one of the ano ba, uh, less known uh, way of understanding uh, Jesus uh, with regard to scripture, that Jesus himself not only uses the psalm to point to his life, death, and resurrection, but Jesus himself is the worshiper in the New Testament. That the person of Jesus Christ, his divine and human nature combined in a single divine person, is the one worshiping with us. And since he is the one worshiping with us, he is the true worshiper from God. That he alone intercedes for his people. That our ascended Lord, kasi pag tinatanong, where is Jesus? In our hearts. And sometimes it makes a connotation that he's locally available here. Yeah, I think that's the part of the metaphor. But we have to understand that Jesus himself is an ascended Lord. That he rules and reigns in the heavens but he is the one speaking to us right here every Lord's Day worship through his word and by the spirit he is the one calling the elect, regenerating them, converting them to faith and repentance and by the indwelling work of the spirit it, he makes it effective that he alone makes converts but at the same time this is the second point simultaneously we will understand that the book of Psalms is not just Christ's Psalms it is also our Psalms it is our Psalms that as God's people the congregation kaya nga yung assembly has to be likened with people gathering because that's the basic description of a congregation to congregate in a local place. And as a congregation, the psalm serves as the church's hymn book. And from the Old Testament in the New, the psalms were sung in the temple, which is yung sinasabi natin synagogue worship, pwede rin yung sinasabi natin na uh, even the time of Jesus in the temple worship. But in the synagogue, it is being extensively used and we know for a fact that Jesus himself sung the psalms. I'm not sure how it would make an impact on our understanding today, but think of it, at least let it germinate in our minds. Jesus himself sung the psalms. And throughout church history, the psalms has been used in singing in worship. So 
for our meditation for this Lord's Day, we'll study scripture. Pastor, bakit tayo study na study ng scripture? Because the only way true converts will be converted is not through feelings, not through experience, but by the truth of God's word. You have to con be convinced that this is true. But I can never convince you just because of my own reasoning. I can never convince you just because I'm good at speech. Probably I may be. I may be uh, rhetorically eloquent. But that's not the point. The point is for each individual congregants study scripture, make up their own minds, and understand if this is true or not. So we study scripture. And we will discover how the book of Psalms is Christ's psalm, but at the same time, our psalm. And that's the end goal of the preaching. The series will probably extend up to four or five or six. So we'll have more psalms to examine. But this will serve part of our introduction. So our sermon points will be, number one, Christ's psalm. Second one, our psalms. But I don't want to leave us without anything as a takeaway for our own lives. The moment that we uh, disseminate in this Lord's Day gathering, I want us to understand that this can only be applied to those who are truly elect, to those who are truly regenerate. It means only true believers can truly worship God. And has to be reiterated, that's why on the third point, we need to understand that the only way to respond is to respond in faith and repentance. And if you're ready, uh, I would like us to begin with uh, a prayer before we go to the first point. Let us close our eyes and let us pray. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable into your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. So the psalm is known as Christ's psalm. And it holds a significance because there are two ways of looking at it. I know the first point is very familiar, but the second point is not. So I'll be trying to balance it out. So the first point is, we know that the psalm is Christ's psalm because it points to him. Jesus knows that the psalm points to him. But that the se second point, which I would like us to be familiar with, is that he himself sang the psalm in worship. I think that much gives us a bearing, knowing that it is both the divine and the human nature that we're talking about here. That we're not just looking at the divine nature and then neglecting the human, or looking at the human and neglecting the, the divine, that would be a heresy, right? It is the Chalcedonian heresy, if you think about it, have to be balanced in that sense. So, we have to understand that not only it points to him, the, the psalm, to Christ, but it also is the one that Jesus himself sang. Now, to prove the point, I think we have to look at the whole of Scripture and theologically think through, did Jesus use the psalm? Well, yes. I think most of the response that you will find from Jesus himself is that he quoted the psalm to describe his own divine kingship, but at the same time, his meditorial role or yung kanyang representative role and confirming his divinity and humanity. And this establishes that Christ himself is the one leading us to worship. Kasi minsan hindi natin maarok kung bakit meron naglilid dito sa harap. And sometimes because of our celebrity mindset, 
na i-elevate yung pastor into a, 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 a stature wherein the pastor becomes Jesus himself. Parang okay sana yun, ano? parang si Kristo lang. So kaya lang si Kristo, doon lang yun nakukuha sa, ano, eh, sa sabong. Anyway, so parang tinataas natin siya na Kristo. Pero once we get an idea of how the, 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 the scripture teaches Jesus himself, sang the psalm, He is the one leading the worship. Doon pupunta yun pagkatapos eh. And the moment we realize, okay, Jesus is the one speaking through here in every worship, then we can now properly respond to God in Christ through faith. It becomes Trinitarian. And the Psalms, and minsan nagpapatong-patong po yun, you have to you also remember that the Psalm itself is an inspired book. That the Psalm itself is God's Word. Okay? And since it is God's word, it is used in the worship of our triune God and it is the one uniting us to Christ, enabling us to respond in faith and repentance. Now, to support this claim, we will examine three key verses. Pastor, three? Oo, first point pa lang yun. Opo, three. We'll look at Jesus in Luke. We'll look at Samuel in 2 Samuel. I'm, I'm sure if you're familiar with Samuel, the one who anointed David and King David himself, okay, quoting the psalm as a book, Psalm 1 and 2. Now, these verses provide a comprehensive foundation for the divine claim that Jesus himself stated that in the psalm of the Old Testament, everything points to him. Now, binasa ni Pastor Abed kanina, that was Luke 24, 44 to 45. And if you have time, you can open it. Uh, uh, if you can uh, examine it for yourself again. One thing that I would like to point out there, the usage of the term the. The. Mahilig kasi ako sa the, eh. definite article yan eh. Okay, so yung the. Uh, 424, punta tayo sa uh, 44, last part. About me in the law of Moses, the Prophets, plural. Pero lalabas sa kita nyo, bakit capital? Tama? And the Psalms, plural, and then may capital din. And if meron kasing the, nagiging definite yung noun. Big sabihin, it's a particular, nagiging proper noun. Nagiging particular yung noun, hindi lang siya general or indefinite noun. So, It's talking about not just the laws of Moses, the law, uh, that singular, the law of Moses. What is considered as the law of Moses? The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the prophets, which is the twelve and the the five, and then minor and major. Pwede mo extend yan to Moses, pwede mo extend yan to Joshua, pwede mo extend yan to Samuel. Pero bottom line yun yung pito at sa kalima, minor and major. Pero ang curious dito is, bakit the sum? Bakit the psalm? Bakit, in, how come the po, poetical books or the book of poetry are included? It means that it is actually proving for us the inspiration of the entire Old Testament canon. 39 books. Anyway, I don't have to prove that point pero for now. But at the end of it, justifies for to say that Jesus himself mentioned it. 
and it carries authority. Tama ba? Not my authority, not Pastor Abbott's authority, not anyone's else authority, but His authority only. So Jesus mentioned it. Now, since Jesus affirms that everything was written about Him in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, in the Psalm, and it must be fulfilled, now, it means that our approach of studying the Psalm, pointing to Him, is a good foundational for theology. We call it redemptive historical covenant way of looking at scripture. Why? Because it connects the old with the new and reveals for us the inspired way of understanding scripture the way Jesus wants us to understand them. So Jesus specifically highlights the book of Psalms as part of the Old Testament scriptures. I always reiterate, Jesus, when he was living, the 39 books of the canon of the old scripture has been established already. There must be no question to it. And he knows, and what he is doing is that he is pointing the Old Testament canon to himself. The Psalms, beyond their use in worship, hold for us, and this is the critical part, because we only need, know it as songs and hymns for the church, but we have to understand when Jesus used this and look, referred to it in Luke 24, uh, 24, he is making a historical and theological point. He is making sure that we have to understand the theological significance of the claim. We know that the, the, the book is written during David's time, but critically speaking, some of them were written after or during the time of David, but the compilation would have to be at least post-exile. And there are several themes in the book, and what makes it theologically significant is because it is pointing out to us the great and final king after David. And it is a fulfillment of David's eternal kingdom. And later on, we'll go to Second uh, Samuel for that. But at the same time, what it is doing is showing to us that David is only a type, not the fulfillment, a shadow, but not the reality. So at this point, we, we can understand, okay, ah, okay, we have to look at the psalm theologically, okay, as a whole, and how it, how it points to us that David is a type, and Jesus himself as the Messiah future king is the antitype. Now, mahaba kasi ang theological study for the Old Testament, so that's why pinipili lang yung mga verses. So the, first, the second verse that I would like us to look into is 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 7.16 It was Samuel talking uh, here in uh, 7.16 And Samuel is a judge but at the same time he was a prophet. Okay. The, uh, the, the chapter itself is the Lord's covenant with David. I'll just read again 16. And these are the words of Scripture. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, there's really no issue if this verse doesn't say forever. Because the reality is, David is going to rule. The reality is, from how we see Scripture, that rule was divided, right? The kingdom was divided afterwards, 
and the bigger kingdom were conquered by Assyria. The lesser kingdom, Judah, was conquered by Babylon and then later on by Persia. And both of them were disseminated by what? By what empire? Letter R. The Roman Empire. So wala na talaga sila, supposedly. But then, the point here is yung establishment of the kingdom forever. <laughs> forever. Yung forever, yung eternal aspect. Ang problema do sa eternal aspect is everybody understand that eternal in this in this earth. Yun yung, yun yung issue. Which is, ang problema is, paano magkakaroon ng eternal dito sa, sa earth? Eh, everything is passing, everything is moving away. So, lalabas, they're trying to wrestle with that. But at this point, we know that the, the, the at least we understand that the promise was an eternal kingdom. And that promise was given to David. Therefore, a son of David must come to the throne and that throne will be established forever. And that is why we know and we understand that, that the redemptive historical thrust of the entire Old Testament going to the New, it must be fulfilled. David's throne must be occupied and the one who will occupy the throne must be an eternal king. Alright. Okay pa po ba? Alright, so the promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7.16, establishing a connection between the psalm and the greater and the larger biblical narrative. Bakit natin ginagawa yon? So that when we look at the entire scripture, hindi tayo naliligaw. We have to have a framework. We cannot just pinpoint scripture and then connect them out like it's a, you know, connect the dots. It doesn't work that way. You have to make an, a proper framework and we're establishing that one now. Now, the promise ensures the eternal establishment of David's house. It must come from his flesh. But at the same time, it must be a kingdom wherein the one ruling must be a king and there must be a kingdom to rule over. And this is how the Pharisees themselves, even the disciples themselves, when Jesus was ruling, uh, was teaching, was really excited about the establishment of a Messiah King who will fulfill the earlier promise. And that's not just with David. It is also made to Abraham because the promise is to you and to your children. Tama ba? And the Abrahamic uh, uh, promise also points to that. So this highlights for us the need to interpret Psalm with this entire redemptive historical approach, seeing that there is no isolated text in Scripture. Everything must be understood as a whole. So, pwede kang pumunta in a singular text, but you have to interpret it in the larger context. Therefore, everything is theological. I think yun yata yung dapat din maintindihan natin lahat. That there is no one here who is going to be just pinpointing a text and then just say, no, this is just what the text says and that, let, let's, let's live with it. Hindi pwedeng ganon. Everything has a context, but everything has a theological context as well. So we have to have an integral view of Scripture, and this is what we're trying to understand here. Now, in adapting the theological approach in interpreting the psalm, I'm trying to we are trying to prove that you cannot just look at it as a hymn book. It's also a theological historical book. So we understand that it is not just a mere collection of prayers and hymns, but an inspired book. That it is God's word for His people. Now, 
Theologically speaking, the approach for Psalms 1 and 2, you know that the Jews have this book as well, right? And they have understood someone as someone who is a blessed man and it points to the one who obeys the whole Torah. Tama ba? If you read the Psalm 1 and you're a Jew, you will look at it thinking, oh, the blessed man is me. I am the blessed man. Actually, parang meron siyang uh, echo sa current trend of modern uh, understanding of the Bible today. Everything about the Bible is talking about me. Medyo narcissistic lang, no? Unti-unti, it's not about you. So, parang pag binabasa ang someone, the blessed man, oh, it's talking about me, I'm the blessed one. Okay lang naman kung naiintindihan mo yung proper context, but it's a Jewish understanding of the text. But someone is used to be written in connection with Psalm 2. And nobody reads Psalm 2 anymore, no? Kasi pag sa devotion, Psalm 1 lang eh. Kasi the blessed man, tama ba? But there is Psalm 2. Now, I cannot make the whole exposition of the Psalm 1 and 2. It's, it, it requires a whole preaching altogether. But Psalm 2 is talking about the Son. And you have to kiss the Son. Yun na yung pinaka-highlight. Kiss the Son. And it is about the Son ruling over all kingdoms. And everybody will have to pay respect to the Son by kissing Him. Kiss the Son. So the, the Psalm 2 is talking about the rule of the King, the Messiah King. Okay? And Psalm 1 has to be connected to it. Therefore, it's not by any stretch of imagination. And of course, masyada lang naman magiging mabilis. But what I'm trying to say here, that whoever is the Son in Psalm 2 must be the blessed man of Psalm 1. Ulitin ko. Whoever is the son of Psalm 2, whoever it refers to, tama, must be the one being talked about as the blessed man of Psalm 1. Pastor, so bad ba na na-interpret ko yung Psalm 1 as me? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying is you can interpret that in the light of thinking through that it is Christ himself that's being talked about there. Then you can talk about yourself. Because the blessed man who sits and rises on the law being fulfilled is not us doing the fulfillment, but the Son doing it for us. It's about His atoning work. So someone and some too is actually pointing to Christ Himself. So the moment that we expand our horizon thinking through Second Samuel 7.16 that there must be a Messiah King that's being expected, being endorsed yung psalm by Jesus himself makes us understand, okay, there must be a significance in, in understanding psalm. Then we go to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as the main introduction of the book of the 150 psalm. And then we see that it is about Christ himself. That Christ is the blessed man because he is the one whom we all ought to kiss as the reigning king and messiah of all. So the idea, so that is, again, let's break it. So that points to us that, that the psalm points to Christ. Okay? Nag-journey lang tayo to several texts. Nagkaroon lang ako ng konting explanation about how to interpret it properly and how to connect it in a redemptive historical way. But the bottom line remains, Jesus 
is the one being pointed at when we're talking about the sun. Now, the least um, idea uh, that is uh, not popular in today's uh, understanding of the psalm is that it is Jesus himself leading God's people in worship. Okay, inom tayo para medyo may break. Inom tayo para... Okay, Pastor, hinga tayong konti. Ang dami na ng text kanina eh. Yeah. Okay. So it is Jesus himself that leads God's people, but it is not a widely accepted understanding of worship among Christians today. However, there is a scriptural basis for the claim. Okay. Punta mo tayo sa history. We know for a fact that Jesus sang the psalm during synagogue worship. Paano natin naarok yun? Well, there is synagogue worship during Jesus' time. Jesus attended the synagogue worship. He must probably have sung the psalm. Make sense? Eh, ang tanong, eh, anong kinanta niya? Proverbs. Pwede ba yun? <laughs> Di ba hindi pwede? So, it doesn't make sense. So, ang point lang is so if we, are, we have proven that Jesus attended the synagogue worship, did he attend the synagogue worship? From what how you read the Gospels? Yes, he attended. Is the psalm being sung? in the synagogue worship, historically, we know that they are. Okay. So, if that is both true, therefore, it can be concluded that Jesus sang the psalm and he was attending synagogue worship. But at the same time, he quoted them extensively to describe his own identity and mission. The psalm holds theological significance in establishing Christ's divinity and humanity. You cannot talk about Christ's divinity by eclipsing the humanity. You cannot uh, talk about the humanity by eclipsing the divinity. The only way to maturely discuss Christ, both nature must be always presented. Kasi nga, doon nagkakaroon ng misinterpretation. Kaya minsan si Jesus na mumukhang nebulus or nagiging masyado namang uh, mababa. Ang midway nun is Chalcedoyan Creed. We have to understand that both nature are there. Now, uh, medyo mahaba, pero it is Hebrews 1 and 2 ang nag-explain sa atin of this balanced view of understanding that Jesus Himself not only is divine, but also human. Kasi yung parang kumakanta si Jesus sa sinagog, naiirapan tayong ar- aroken. Pero inisip ko, eh, ano gusto niyo gawin niya? Di ba? Nagpunta siya ng sinagog, eh, alam nga naman, di siya kumakanta. Siguro siya sa mga tao na kapag nagkakantahan, ganun lang siya. Hindi siya ganun. Kumakanta siya. Imposibleng hindi. Okay? So, kumakanta siya. So, understanding Hebrews uh, 1 and 2, at least, Hebrews 1, to 13. Haba. But the Father acknowledges Jesus as the one greater than the angels. And by logic, it dictates if you're greater than the angels, and there are only three natures, celest, divine, celestial, and human. Divine would be God, celestial would be the angels, human would be us. And if you are higher than the angels, sa kapupunta, sa human. Does it make sense? Higher nga than the angels eh. Therefore, divine. So that is uh, the first uh, point there. But at, at the same time, these verses along with Psalm 40, uh, 
145 and 102 speaks of Jesus' divine kingship. And kaya lang kasi pag pinag-uusapan natin yung kingship na divine, laging natin naiisip uh, medyo nebulous, medyo invisible. But when we're talking about kingship, let's pattern our thinking with the Jewish way of thinking. Concrete yun. Kingship kasi yung pinag-uusapan. Eh. Human. Merong hindi, imposibleng walang human. You cannot be a king without being human. Jesus himself has a human nature, therefore is truly a king in the truest sense of the word. Okay? So, but in the, at the same time, Hebrews 2.11 Okay? Jesus is quoted singing Psalm 22, emphasizing his role as a divine representative Okay, of God's people and confirming His humanity. So, medyo extensive yung Hebrews 1 and 2, but it is there. Not just the divinity, but also the humanity. How do we prove the divinity of Christ using some, uh, Hebrews 1 and 2? Again, I've already mentioned, He is higher than the angel. The second one, paano natin mapaprove yung humanity niya? He sung. He sang Psalm 22. So, pwede natin tignan Hebrews 2.11 for the purposes of understanding it for ourselves. Di ba? Hebrews 2.11. Okay. 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Yung he... And since the topic of this buong chapter is about Jesus himself, the he, the singular masculine subject is Christ himself. The, and then, uh, and he is the one who sanctifies. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Who are, who are the he? Who, uh, sorry, who are the brothers? So he would be Christ, who are the brothers? Saying, now, of course, kung hindi naka-quote-unquote to sa ESV nyo, dapat naka-quote-unquote to sa King James nyo, ha? Okay. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Psalm 22 is the one quoted. Jesus sang the psalm. He is not ashamed. to be in the midst of the congregation and he is the one singing with the brothers. Ay, pastor, the brothers lang. So, wala yung mga sisters. Oo naman. It's not about feminism issue, no? You're included. Ang sinasabi lang dito kasi the brothers, most likely, probably the way the synagogue worship puro mga lalaki yun nandoon. Pero since may mga babae tayo dito, pastor, kasama ba kami? Oo naman, kasama kayong kumanta kanina eh. So kasama kayo doon. Ulitin ko lang ha, medyo may impact kasi. Slowly, understanding that the one Hebrew is quoting is Jesus himself talking. So it's a direct quote from Jesus himself who's already been proven as divine in chapter 1 and from the first few verses of chapter 2. But in this, at this point, Jesus speaks what? Scripture, Psalm 22. And what is the quote? He is the one. 
telling the name of all my brothers in the midst of the congregation, the one singing the praise. The one singing the praise. So by implication, Jesus not only calls us to worship him, uh, uh, by implication, Jesus not only calls us to worship as he himself is divine, but he also together with God's people respond in thanksgiving and praise. Sa, sa, sabi ni Pastor Rabbit. Parang kami kasi yun yung pinaka-actual reality na kailangan natin maintindihan eh. Ang hirap lang kasi kahit anong gawin ko dito ng monstra, hanggat hindi natin naiintindihan in our illuminated minds, it will not be lived out in the midst of the congregation. But that is what scripture is trying to illuminate here. Jesus is the one leading the worship. Yes, you can see me. Sana nga hindi ako nakikita nyo, pero this is what you're left with. But you can see me, yes. But can you hear Him sing the praises of His people? And that's the reality that I want us to take away from learning Scripture here. Jesus is both the subject and the object of our worship. He is the, he's not only calling, but also leading and enabling us to worship Him. So consequently, Jesus not only calls us to worship, but also joins God's people in responding to thanks and thanksgiving and praise. Kasi it elevates yung thanksgiving and praise. Kasi minsan iniisip natin yung thanksgiving and praise, atin yun. So halimbawa, magkakaroon ng God's word here. So natapos yung God's word, then it's our turn. Yes, it's your turn, but you have to understand, when we speak, it is God's word that we speak. And when you respond, you respond by God's enabling grace. And that's the only way the worship would be divine, by the work of God himself. Our response is God's. We are responding, yes. I'm not negating the one that responding is you as an individual Christian. But the source of your response is not human, it's not flesh. It's God's. It's divine. So He is the one encouraging us, encouraging one another to respond in faith and repentance to Christ's person and work. Praying that uh, by the very, 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 uh, very uh, short time of expo exposing Scripture, we have come to that, uh, we will, it will help you to be in the same conclusion that we did here just a while ago. So Christ is Christ's psalm because it not only points to him, but at the same time, he is the one leading us to worship. Next, our psalms. Okay. Our psalms is uh, for us to understand that since the book of scripture was completed, it's canon 2,000 years ago, we're thinking it just simply falls out of relevance. But what I want us to understand here is how in church history, Psalm has all, the Psalms, the book of Psalms has always been used in all of God's people's worship. Okay. So the Book of Psalms is a collection of ancient songs and prayers written by various authors, including Moses. Yes, meron dyan si Moses. 
Meron dyan si David, meron dyan si Solomon. So, pastor, paano nangyari na matay na si, Sol- si David, ano si Solomon, pero meron pang mga ibang mga members of the priesthood na nag, uh, nagsulat niyan. So, ibig sabihin, hindi si, Pete, si Peter, hindi si David ang author. Okay, wait. Yes, there is a high chance that the collection of the entire book may have happened after David's death. No one is claiming that it is an inspired David-only text. Hindi tayo ganun mag-isip, hindi tayo, uh, from the Muslim's perspective, ganun kasi. Pero from the Christian's perspective, hindi. We make room for the historical collection of the book. So it was formed, in its, in its final form, we know that it completed post-exile. Now, scholars believe that the psalm was also used in the formal worship of the temple. Ang problem doon is when Jesus was living, not the temple, not only the temple exists, but it's no longer the temple whom God's presence resides. Ulitin ko lang po, kailan lumabas ang Spiritu ng Diyos palabas ng templo? ba? Diba? Lumabas eh. Hindi naman parang hangin lumabas yun, masamang hangin lumabas. No? Pero it is accounted there that prior to it being subdued by the Babylonians, the presence of God left. Now, when it left, the descendants of Judaic, uh, the Judaic kingdom still wanted to continue, no longer the Levitical uh, priesthood, but then they, they selected their own priesthood. But because of that, there became a way of worshiping God outside the temple because there are a lot of Jews outside Jerusalem. They call it synagogue worship. Jesus attended one when he read Isaiah. Okay, that's a perfect example for that. So, scholars believe that the book of Psalms reaches final form during the post-exilic period, specifically during the time of Ezra. Si Ezra ba at saka si Ezekiel magkabatch? Hindi ah, malayo. So mas, sinong mas matanda? Si Ezekiel. So between Ezekiel, Ezra, and then Jesus. Ganun po yun, okay? So the book is divided into five sections. And the first two sections, theologically speaking ah, kasi ganito, kaya natin sinasabing theologically speaking because the Jews owns the Psalms. It's their book eh, it's their hymn book. But we look at it as Christians as a whole in a canonical way. Okay? So the two sections focuses on God's covenant with David, kasama ang Psalm 1 and 2, and the establishment of his kingdom. Now the third section speaks of the fall of the kingdom and its subsequent exile, mirroring the entire history of, the, of God's people during the exilic period. But the fourth and the fifth anticipates that all will be restored through the promised messianic king. That's why, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, 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 uh, I still think, uh, ko, I was able to encounter that the Sadducees themselves do not see the entire canon, but only looks at the Torah, the first five books. But the Pharisees themselves embrace the entire canon of the Old Testament, and Jesus is included to that group. Paul was also included. Okay, that's important because some is not from the Torah, from the first five books. It is from the, uh, from the outside of the Torah. That's why five sections mirror the five books of the Torah. But then the entire redemptive history that Christians understand, the fourth and the fifth section of the psalm now points to the Messiah promise. The psalms 
were actually used by the Jewish pilgrims during festival, Sabbath, Passover. Kaya pagka yung sinasabi na yung Valley of Vision, yung um, Song of Ascents, Ascents, oh, plural. Uh, kinakanta in their pilgrimage going to Jerusalem. Tama? Psalms yun. So they use it during Sabbath, Passover, and even during the, the time of Jesus under the Roman rule. Now, during Jesus' time, the psalm were part of the synagogue worship. Jesus and disciples would sing and pray during the Passover ritual. This practice is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. So let's go to Mark 14, 46. Mark 14, 46. 14, 46. Okay. And they... 14, 46. Mark. Yeah, 14, 46. Sorry, mukhang mali. Pero, um... Probably malegit semani. Utang ko sa inyo yun, okay? Hindi 46 eh, mali eh. Pero we know that during the uh, during the Passover, uh, the disciples and Jesus himself sang the psalm. If you can point that out to me, it's probably in 14 but not 46. Okay, so they sang the psalm. Now, Christians also, after Pentecost, continued the tradition of singing the psalm in their worship services. And it is recorded in Acts 4, 4 26-24. Acts 4. Okay. 25 tayo. And when the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. And he is quoting, and they are quoting here, Psalm. Psalm 2 to be specific. Why do the nations range? So, yung kanina sinasabi ko that the, the interpretation of Psalm 2 must be because it must be uh, pointing to the Messiah is because of this verse actually that the, the congregants were singing Psalm 2 thinking that whoever is the king in Psalm 2 is representing Jesus. Okay? But at the same time, the apostles themselves encouraged the use of Psalm in worship. There are several here. Um, pili na lang ako, no? 1 Corinthians 14.26, Ephesians 5.18-19, Colossians 3.16, yun na lang siguro. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach the preaching of the word, admonishing one another with all wisdom, preaching, and as you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Therefore, the apostles themselves were encouraging the use of the psalm in their singing, even in their worship. Okay? So James 5.13, uh, Ephesians 5.18, 1 Corinthians 14.26, all contains the apostles making sure that the letters include exhortation to use singing, the psalm. Eh, pastor, nakalagay lang naman, nakalagay lang naman doon, psalm. Oo nga. But then, ano lang pa ang pwedeng psalm doon? Wala namang iba. Ang psalm lang sa Bible is yung book of psalms. Okay? 
And sinabi doon may hymns eh. Ibig sabihin, pwedeng hindi rin psalms. Merong ibang kinakanta. Wala namang problema. Pero ang point dito is, yung psalms ang kinakanta. Now, throughout church history, o di tapos na tayo sa early Christian, uh, tapos na tayo sa apostolic times. Punta tayo ng early Christian church. Meron ako ditong quote, Tertullian, Jerome, Agustin. Sino gusto nyo? Agustin? Si Jerome? Or si Tertullian? Agustin na lang. If, sabi ni Agustin, if the psalm prays, you pray. If the psalm laments, you lament. If the psalm exalts, you rejoice. If it hopes, you hope. If it fears, you fear. Everything written here is a mirror for us. So early Christian church yun. So medyo yung pedigree tumataas, tama ba? Apostolic times, early Christian church. Tama? Jesus himself, okay, tumataas si authority niya. Unfortunately, in modern times, the neglect of the Psalms has led to the decline in its regular use. But it is actually the Reformed churches who advocated for the return of the Psalms in worship, recognizing their theological, biblical, and even spiritual significance. That's why we can say that The Psalms is our Psalms because it is the book of God's people. However, which is the third point, last point, we have to also consider that not everyone can sing the Psalm properly. Ah, Pastor, big sabihin mahirap siyang kantahin? Hindi naman, hindi naman, hindi naman. Actually, hindi na natin alam kung paano siya originally kinakanta. In our tradition sa continental, ang ginagawa is yung mismong versification ng mga psalm nilalagay as the text. Pero yung kinakanta na tune is kung ano na yung tune na probably madali nyo nang masundan. And for most believers in the Philippines today, I think we are more familiar with the hymn tunes. Rather than, you know, mag-imbento tayo ng ibang tune natin or pwede tayo mag-adapt ng mga Gregorian chants, which may hirapan lang tayo nun. Pero pwede rin naman. I, 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 I'm not against any, any tune. It's just that the versification of the psalm is important so that we still understand and uphold the theology of what the book teaches, right? And this is where uh, history and actually the church has helped. But what I want us to leave us with here is not just the history, not just the theology, but also the proper understanding that only true believers can sing the psalm. Only true believers can sing the psalm. Why? Because it requires faith and repentance. Only true believers can respond properly Okay? Christ's psalm is not just any psalm, it is our psalm. It embodies the essence of our response to grace through faith and repentance. And this is the thesis that I want us to be left with. It, it transcends mere musical preference or style. Kung ako po ang pastor nyo, baka po rock and roll tayo, OPM. Okay? Kasi kung ako, di ba? Ako yun eh. Lumaki kasi ako na kumakanta sa mga OPM bands. Barbie's Cradle ang peg, ganun. Kaya lang wala na nakarelate, Pastor. So that would be a reflection of my age. 
hindi nyo kilala si... Alright, anyway, moving on. So, but that it's not me. It's not my preference. It's not my style. Okay? What is important is we understand that the response is the one that we're looking after. And the book of Psalm is a book of praise and thanksgiving. It shapes our response. And the response will always be gratitude. It's not, again, it's, it's going beyond the question of relatability or the choice between traditional and modern. Personally speaking, I lived in a, mo, uh, in a modern, I lived in a mainline Protestant church who values hymn singing. We sing in Tagalog, we have this hymn book. Uh, that's why I was familiar with the tune Pero I was not familiar with a lot of the lyrics of the English hymns. Pero I grew up singing uh, Santo, Santo, Santo. Alam niyo po yung Santo sa Tagalog? Holy, Holy, Holy. Baka ngayon, baka wala, hindi niyo kilala ko si, si Santo. No? Pero anyway, Santo, Santo, Santo. Uh, yun yung mga uh, kapanatagang maligaya. So yun yung mga childhood memories ko. But when I was growing up, uh, becoming more and more like uh, close adulthood, so young adult, I was exposed to praise and worship. I myself became a praise and worship leader. Kung, kung hindi po to reform church, baka kumanta na po ako ngayon. Buti na lang po, hindi. Pero kasi I'm a songer. Ibig sabihin I'm a worship leader. I was, I was a worship leader. Dahil ko pong kalokong pinagagawa ng mga panahon na yun. Pero anyway, I was accepted as one. So okay lang naman. Uh, dahil ko mga theologically flawed exhortation. Pero uh, I sing and I can sing well. Nice. Pagka nag-video tayo, malalaman nyo. So, I was exposed to both and the church back then was debating uh, should we put the praise and worship into the worship service or we should retain our hymn because this is what is we've been doing a while uh, for the long time. And I was actually very passionate about no, we have to sing what the, the youth are singing. Because I was a representative of the youth. We should include the praise and worship into the worship service. And apparently they did. But then looking back at it now, I finally realized that I was actually just, we were just actually meddling with some minor points and a lot of things. And it's not what really is essential. Singing traditional songs, even singing modern songs will not guarantee that you are a convert. It will not make you regenerate. But Truly, a regenerate person will always respond in thanksgiving and praise and he will be singing. Sabi niyo, Pastor, ang pangit po talaga ng boses ko eh. Pang banyo lang po talaga. Okay lang. I will not be offended. Okay? If you sing, you sing with your heart. It was a sock, sing with your heart. Sing with faith and thanksgiving. I think that's, that's what's required. Kanina I was hearing you singing more actively and, uh, and that's what we are trying to actually see in the church. Singing actively means that we are responding in faith and repentance. Singing in response to God's grace is actually a deeply theological manner, matter. Akala natin, singing is just, you know, what I do. No, in the Christian church, singing is central to the response that we put into every time we hear God's word. It is at the very core our doxology, the doxa, the praise, the word of praise. 
Okay? It is the only appropriate and heartfelt response to the truth that we hold dear. There's really, you can, Pastor, paanong dancing? Okay, let's not anymore put that here. Please. I'm just saying, Scripture says singing is how we express our thanksgiving and praise. As our renewed minds and hearts are regenerated, we are transformed into people who lead godly lives and only those who truly believe can genuinely respond with gratitude expressed through praise and thanksgiving. Which is why every time, uh, and this was part of the Thursday uh, mix group that I've been with, I've heard uh, Pastor Abed said, sometimes we are guilty of being sanctified by a vinegar. Have you heard of that term? Sanctified by vinegar. Ano po ba ang vinegar? Matamis po ba o maasim? Maasim. Actually, ang sagot natin sa biyaya ng Diyos, hindi pwedeng maasim. Ano ba ang itsura ng maasim? Eh, huwag niyo na ipakita sa akin. Ang sinasabi ko lang, may itsura yung maasim eh. Ang asim ng response. I'm not saying na we should not be grievous during times of distress. But yes, we will praise God in the midst of trials and distress. It has never been maasim kahit na naghihirap tayo. What is expected from us when we respond in grace is to respond with gratitude in thanksgiving and in praise. The kind of worship that the Father desires, the Son exemplifies, and the Spirit inspires is genuinely spiritual. Jesus, our ultimate worship leader, guides us through His Word while the Spirit instills faith and repentance and what the natural response that God cultivates in our heart will always be gratitude. It is always with a profound sense of thankfulness. I've been led to a lot of despair. Being a pastor, I think despair would always be part of the ministry. I think because you always have a high expectation of yourself and of your people. And sometimes, you high expectation of yourself, sometimes yon. I think, ah, uh, ikaw, lang ang na, ikaw lang ang nababother. Kasi ikaw yun, eh. Tama ba? Ang problema is, if you have a high expectation of other people, why? You tend to be disappointed when they do not meet the expectation that you yourself have set for them. Hence, maasim. And problem yon. Actually, it's a problem of the heart. I've been there, done that. I will be probably be there again sometime soon. Or I don't know how God's grace will enable me to overcome each encounter of despair. But that the reality remains that even as believers, we have to understand that we are only saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. None of that is your work. And we cannot respond as if it, it is just one of the things in our lives. The only response that is appropriate to the gift is gratitude. 
gratitude. So this is the final, out, the fitting outcome of grace. A sweet outpouring of gratitude rather than a bitter, resentful attitude. When we gather together every Lord's Day, we hear God's word resounding with grace and truth. So we affirm with His boundless goodness, His wisdom, His undeserved grace. And with joyful voices, we sing our praises to God, our covenant Lord, and our blessed King. So let us embrace Christ's psalm as our own. Allow it to shape our worship and transform our lives. And let us respond with deep gratitude, pouring in in our hearts in adoration and thanksgiving. And may our worship be a reflection of the grace that we have received, drawing us closer to the heart of our loving and merciful God. So to the church of the of, of, uh, Cornerstone Reformed Church, Makati, God, God speaks His word. And by His Spirit, we respond in faith and repentance. So let us worship Him with hearts filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And let us raise our voices in, joy in joyful praise to our great and mighty King. Amen.